What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Over Six Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Banda Burke, and with me, as always, is the Turf King, Cameron Charlton. What's going on, Cam? I mean, what's going on? The Miami Dolphins now have the fastest player in the Ooh. NFL on their team. I mean, I don't wow. even know where this came from. We have a cheetah. We have a penguin. Mm-hmm. And they are arguably two of the top 20 wide receivers. Getting Tyree Kill is massive. I don't know where this came from. This offseason has already been tremendous, and now you add arguably the best wide receiver in the game, the fastest wide receiver in the game, a one-of-one player to this Miami offense. <laughs> it's crazy exciting, and it just seemed to come out of nowhere. And, uh, I mean, things are good then, Burke. Things are uh, looking pretty positive for the Finns, and uh, I'm excited. Yeah, and we're going to dive a little more into that. I did just want to point out that you said we have two uh the top two of the top wide receivers i like that that was a good old dad joke um yeah i mean it's been wild i'm feeling a little better voice is sounding um a little bit better and apologies to everybody listening last week the recording that i did on my side was absolutely unlistenable so if you did grind through that hey kudos we know you're a real fan um a little late this week because uh i've had to move so like Burke's bar is there, but there's no power in the rest of the house. It's super cold. Um, yeah. So I'm recording out of a new space and, uh, you know, it's just nice to kind of get back to our normal. Well, hopefully get back to as normal as we can, but I guess let's just kind of dive right into this. So apparently, so Tyree kills traded Miami dolphins for a plethora of picks. Um, one of them being Miami's uh, first round pick this year, uh, which was 29th um second round pick this year i believe as well and then uh three other picks fourth sixth fifth uh mixed in this year next year whatever it is the nice thing about it is that we didn't give up any of our two first round picks next year so we gave five picks away and and you know i think i look at this deal and i mean any bit like you'd be crazy not to be excited about this i think you know, too often as fans, you know, we kind of overanalyze this kind of move and and look at the draft picks and stuff. And you just need to take a step back and say, we just added, as you said, you know, we've added one of the most exciting electric. I mean, Tyreek Hill in that in the game versus uh, Buffalo, right? Like an absolute stud that game, right? And that's just something exciting to see. And and um, yeah, so sometimes we overanalyze, and I just think it's very simple. We gave up a lot of picks for a an extremely, extremely talented, fast wide receiver. The Chiefs didn't want to pay him the money. Miami has space to pay him, and we have that need. So the Chiefs get a bunch of picks, which they're going to use. They need anyway. They already have a lot of wide receivers. They don't have to pay him money. We've got space, and we get a, and we get a great talent. So I think it works out both in both ways excellently. Yeah, no, for sure. It's a lot to give up for a wide receiver. There's no doubt about it. You're giving up a first, a second, two fourths, and a sixth. That's a lot to give up for a wide receiver. But let's just take a second here. Tyreek Hill is one of one. There's a couple other receivers in the league who are one of one. Debo Samuel, probably argue Cooper Cup, probably argue Devontae Adams. There's nobody else in the league like these guys. Tyreek Hill is one of one. There's nobody with his speed, his movement side to side, his strength in the league. There isn't. And now you added it to this offense with Jalen Waddle, Mike Gusecki, You've added Teron Armstead, which we haven't even touched on, which is awesome. This was the number one ranked free agent. Miami's tackles were horrible last year, and you added a top three talent. He's the only guy with over an 85-grade blocking the last four years. The only tackle. There's only one, and they have him now too. 
So this offense goes from being ranked 22nd in the league to now you have Jalen Waddle, who has a stud as a rookie. You add Tyreek Hill, who's arguably the best wide receiver, but top three for sure. You have Mike Gusecki, who receiving-wise is a top five tight end. He actually doesn't really play tight end. He's a slot receiver, let's be honest. You add Chase Edmonds. You add Raheem Mostert, who we're not even talking about enough either. Him and Tyreek Hill, between Mozart and Tyreek Hill, they have the five fastest speeds in the last, since they started keeping track of it, in a game. This is a legion of Zoom, as you keep seeing on Twitter. This mm-hmm, team is going to mm-hmm. be fast. All you keep hearing is Tua can't throw it downfield. One, he can. He didn't have the ability to because the offensive line was so bad. He was actually quite accurate over 20 Historically bad. Historically bad. Historically bad. Like, yes. Like, in the record books, bad. So if you look at this and everyone's like, oh, Tyreek Hill's just a downfield. No, he's not. Him, he ranks top in yards after catch or in the top 10 every single year. So we just got to get this guy the ball in space. And that's all Mike McDaniel's saying too. So you add in that, you add in what this game plan could be. They added Connor Williams. They added Teron Armstead. This offensive line's going to be much better. Now you have three good pieces that you feel comfortable about. The other thing is you have a really good coaching staff on the offensive line that's going to help out guys like Jackson and Hunt and Eichenberg, these guys who haven't quite lived up to potential. Now you have a coaching staff that wants to teach these guys. You have a coaching staff that believes in Tua. Everything is set up this year now for this offense to not just be average, go from 22nd to like 15. This offense should be really good. And I'm super excited to see how it's all going to play out. Again, only so much can be said for the offseason moves. But Miami has hit home run after home run this offseason. And that was before picking up Tyreek Hill, which I didn't even think was possible. I thought it had been a tremendous offseason for the Dolphins. I've been super excited. They got Armstead. I'm like, all right, we've now set up Tua. He's ready. This is going to be huge for him this year. There's no excuses anymore. And then they add Tyreek Hill on top of that. Like, you just look at, like, what Buffalo did a few years ago when they brought in Stephon Diggs to really help Allen because Allen had struggled through the first couple seasons. Can we picture this the same way? Again, Stephon Diggs, one of the best receivers in the game. Tyreek Hill, one of the best receivers in the game. We're now giving Tua every opportunity to succeed this year. That's what I wanted. They've done that and gone above and beyond with Tyreek Hill. It's exciting. I'm ready for week one to start tomorrow. And I th- I think the one thing that I really want to bring up is that, you know, I did see some stuff online talking about, okay, why did you need to give up all, all those draft picks when you have Jalen Waddle? Why couldn't you just supplement, you know, I, I ha- why wouldn't you go after Amari Cooper? Why wouldn't you, you know, spend like, cause he was only a fifth round pick. Why would you not, you know, and, and, and I just look at this and say, first of all, um, you needed to get another top end talent. Like if you look at everybody in the league, anybody who's successful, you have two guys. Why? Well, because Jalen Waddle this year without any other talent, and I'm not talking like Devonte Parker, I'm talking like you need a stud because Jalen Waddle was about to have a season of bracketing. He was going to get doubled every single play. And I just hope people realize that now that you have Tyree Kill in the mix, and again, running backs too. I mean, the running game is massive because now teams can't cheat, right, towards the towards the, the passing game and, you know, they stay downfield. But now you can't double um, Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill and Mike Gusecki and then, exp- and then not have the running backs succeed, right? Like it's just one of those things where you just add this extra element and just seeing what Mike McDaniel did with um, Debo Samuel, and you're looking at that and say, like, holy smokes, we got two of them. We have two guys who are, have the same ability. Um, now, I'm not saying that Jalen Waddell is Debo Samuel. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying, though, is that you have two guys with talent sets that will work for that gameplay. And so now it's just a scary, scary thought thinking, man, 
you know, you look at some of these really off uh, these teams. I mean, the Chiefs come to mind where you look at them and say, man, these guys cannot be stopped on some plays just because you have Tyreek Hill, you have Kelsey. Um, like th- those two guys, it's going to one of them and you, and you just got to guess which one. Yeah, that's the other huge thing here is even Cedric Wilson, who they brought in on a three-year contract. He's a speed guy too. He ranks top 20 in separation the last two seasons. Again, he was more of a minor role, second, third for Dallas last year with the injuries and stuff that happened. But you add that in too. Teams are going to have to respect this speed. They're going to have to play a lot of two high safeties, which you've seen against Tyreek Hill a ton, because you don't want to get beat over the top. That's a one-done home run shot. If Tyreek Hill gets a step on you, it's over if you don't play two high safeties. So what does playing two high safeties lead to? Is the box opening up. What is Mike McDaniel really known for? These zone runs, these crazy run schemes, this is what he's brought to the league. Now you have an offensive line that's going to be able to do that a bit. Even a guy like Austin Jackson, who was drafted high to do stuff like this, he's going to fit into this scheme better than he did last year under their offense. So you look at all these different things, and it's the big question mark is still Tua, but they're giving him every opportunity to succeed. And Mike McDaniel has succeeded with Jimmy G. He succeeded with not great quarterbacks. So this offense, I think, has way more, if you look at the wide receivers especially, than the 49ers. Sure, Kittle's a one-on-one player, the way he blocks and does stuff. But you look at the rest of this team, and it's the the amount of talent here is just ridiculous. And all we got to talk about is just getting the ball in the talent's arms. We get it to Waddle, we get to Hill. They can do stuff in open space that not many guys in the league can do. So it's going to be exciting. When people talking too about Tua, and like I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up because people are saying, "Wow, what a pressure year for Tua," and you know this is all on Tua, this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like. Man, this is like the least pressure-filled year for Tua, really. Because you actually have people who believe in you. You actually have talent to throw to. You actually have guys who are going to give you more than two, like 2.2 seconds to throw the ball. Like, this should be the easiest time you've had it in a while. Since, since college. Realistically. So, I mean, in a sense, you say, well, it's pressure because if he doesn't perform, then he's out. Okay, I get that. But he's just going to go on ball, man. I mean, he, he's balled the last two years. Like, that's all he's done. All he's been met has been roadblocks and doubters and hate and not having, you know, like a coach that doesn't want to, you know, that doesn't want to play him. And now you've got all of those check those those check boxes marked off. And now it's just time for two to go out and ball and show everybody, hey, you know, I'm not this, I'm not this plug. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a baller. And for sure, I'm better than Mac Jones. And Cam, we forgot to mention one of Miami's biggest moves. Oh, releasing like, Jesse Davis. Yes. Jesse Davis was the single most single biggest issue in Tua's confidence. The guy doesn't even attempt to get a hand on edge rushers. So there was uh, nothing happier than that. I love this, the response on Twitter here that we saw somebody's like, Oh, Jesse Davis is hearing all this shit on Twitter. He's uh, really going to try and attempt to block somebody. First, he has to learn how to. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that a lot. Not bad. Which by the way, SGP guys are talking shit. We're going to fight. I don't know when, but we're going to fight sometime in the next, hopefully, couple weeks. Because I don't know what, I don't, I, I almost wonder if they're just afraid. I think that's just maybe what it is, right? That two is going to succeed in all the shit that they've talked for the last, so well, since he's came into league, is, is going to come back. And there's a lot of people like that. And I think everybody's just doubling down on the two hate now. And we've been very transparent in the sense where, and we've had shows. Like, I mean, Middle of the season, we had a show where we're like, ah, we're not really sure what's going on here, right? Like, we, we didn't know. Some games he was good. Some games he was 
bad. Like that's just how it was. So at least we're just giving him a chance this year. That's the main thing. But if yeah. he, if he if he performs well, there will be a lot of receipts. Yeah, I mean, ideally, still for the Miami Dolphins, if Tua goes out and does what he can and kind of lives up more to his potential, they're set up extremely well with two first round picks next year. And this year is unless there's a massive easy upgrade without completely emptying the cupboards, you don't do it because this is a make or prove it year here. You set him up to succeed. Finally, you have a coach who believes in him. You don't have Deshaun Watson breathing down his neck. Which, by the way, yeah, Baker, Baker and Matt Ryan, they couldn't even deal with the pressure of that. Say all you want about Tua, but he went out and played football with the pressure of Watson being there. As soon as Matt Ryan or Baker heard about it, they're like, yeah, I want out, guys. Sorry, I can't deal with that. I can't go out there and play football. So say what you want about Tua, but he went out there and played football and still did it, tried his best every week. So there's something to be said for that. And now he's got a team that believes in him, trusts him for at least a year. And you know what? He hasn't been good enough to not to have more than a year. But he's now got a make-it-or-break-it year. They have two first-round picks if it doesn't work, and you've then set up this team extremely well for a new quarterback. So as a Miami Dolphins fan, again, I'm super excited. I'm ready for week one. I'm ready to see what Mike McDaniel can do. You hear Teron Armstrong talking about these fans and these fans on Twitter, and he's like, that's a huge reason why I came to the Miami Dolphins is this fan base getting on me on Twitter saying, I want you here. You hear this stuff. This is awesome. It's fun to be a Miami Dolphins fan. Fins up. We did not. Speaking of Deshaun Watson. The news broke after we recorded last week, like legitimately, I don't know, like less than 24 hours after we recorded, the news broke. And now it's already been broken. Everybody knows about it. But the Falcons blew a 78 source lead, and I have to mention it. I got to do it. I know one of our guys is going to listen. The Falcons just blew another lead. The source has laid an absolute fucking egg. And maybe they all thought that, uh, yeah, maybe they thought that it was done deal. It's never a done deal, man, especially in the NFL. How many times have we seen, you know, oh, it's done, it's done, it's done. He's always going to do a sign. It's done. He's on the plane here. And then, nope, Josh McDaniel, That that does that come to mind? A couple other ones? I mean, just this year, uh, Zadarius Smith. Like, it was another thing. Done deal to the Ravens. And then what happened? Nope. Off to the Vikes he goes. So with one other guy, too, for Dallas, whoever Dallas, Randy or Gregory, Gregory was supposed to sign, and then he bailed last second too after agreeing. So, so like this is where and and you know so Watson ends up going to Cleveland because Cleveland gives him a fully guaranteed deal. Which again, we don't, I don't want to get into the salary cap and deals, but they're all stupid as fuck. Sorry. Still, I'm forever gonna bang this drum, even though Miami's doing the same shit. Which obviously you have to, but like I'm not. I still don't like it. I mean, I like it from a fan's perspective, but I hate it from I don't know. Just in overall, the way the league works, I think it's dumb. Like, what's the fucking point here? You just don't have a salary cap then if you're just going to manipulate it. Um, but fully guaranteed deal for Watson. Base salary is a million bucks for the first year. So that if he gets suspended, it doesn't. They, they can do whatever they want, which is brilliant. And, yeah, Watson now the, uh, the quarterback for the Browns who just came out of absolutely nowhere, off the top rope, Undertaker out of the coffin to snag him. And... As I said on our show last week, if you could hear it, thank goodness because I did not want those Falcons to get a to, to get a reset that quickly. They need to grind for their quarterback, and now they do. Well, I mean, they got Mariota, so I mean, I I don't know. It's Mariota. 
Yeah, I, I like Mariota, so I'm not gonna not gonna get too hard on Mariota. I was hoping he was gonna be Miami's backup this year. We got Teddy Two Gloves instead. But yeah, it's insane now. Deshaun Watson's in the AFC. This AFC is just gonna be nasty. A I feel so good about Miami, and I'm like, they could finish with 10 wins and not make the playoffs. That's how gross this top end of this AFC is. There's legit 10 teams who are in playoff contention. You look at the NFC, and there's like three. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Bucks, Can we request LA. to go to the NFC? Yeah, I'm like, can we please Transfer. switch with somebody? Like, yeah. you have you have those divisions, and then you have these divisions. Like, it, it's going to be a gong show in this AFC, and Miami is right in the mix now, and it's... It's going to be exciting. It's going to be so hard to bat next year. I don't think our oh records are going to do very well. No, I was um, just about to say, holy smokes, dude. How the hell? Like, we can bet the NFC, like, the NFC, right? Like, I mean, yeah. if you look at some of these divisions, like, it's, like, super obvious who's winning divisions right now. Like, I I don't know. Like, that one's easy to bet. But, I mean, look at the AFC, dude. How in the, like, Baltimore, Cleveland, Pitt, Cincy? The AFC North is disgusting. So is the AFC West, Denver. So you have Carr, Herbert, uh, Russ, and Mahomes in a in a in a division. Like that's fucking gross. And then that's you disgusting. get the AFC, AFC East. You look at what the Bills have done, adding Von Miller. You look at what the Miami Dolphins have done with adding Hill, Armstead, and everything. Patriots are still the Patriots. They're always going to be hovering around that. How much we hate the Patriots. We got to respect the franchise a little bit. They're going to be somewhere near there. This AFC is just a mess. I mean, you got the South, which isn't very good. Tennessee or Indy is going to get to the playoffs automatically, and they might be one of the bottom third teams in the league in this conference right now. It's just going to be an absolute gong show till the end here. and It's going to be a ton of fun. But as a Miami fan, I'm like, man, this is the best team maybe I've ever seen on paper from the Dolphins. And I can't even guarantee a playoff spot here, which is nuts. We should go to the two, two divisions. Like, do, do, do what the NHL does, because seriously, this is ridiculous. Why does Indy or Tennessee just get in? And they could have, like, this is the same in the NFC. Like, these teams just shouldn't just get in. Like, if we have two divisions, you know, division leaders get in, and then it's ranked after that. Or I don't know, do something like top three, top three, and then wild card, or however you want to do it. I don't know. I, the, I, this top four thing is just, like, if you get into a good division, or, like, I look at it the other way, too. You have a really good division where you have – you know, like, as I said, you know, the Chargers, the Raiders, the, the Chiefs, like, what Broncos if all three of those guys, the Broncos, yeah, the Broncos, like, dude, like, they won't, unfortunately, they're going to beat up on each other, but one of those teams is definitely not making it, which is crazy. We've seen this the last few years, though, like, the NFC West has been unbelievable, and then you had the NFC Least, which had sucked and made teams made the playoffs with a losing record. So we're going to see it again this year in the AFC, because you look at two of the divisions, and they're like... All four teams, you could argue, should make the playoffs or have a good chance. So there you go. That's our NFL discussion. No, Watson. I got one more. I got one more thing I want to touch on, and I want to ask oh, you because okay. we're we're hearing a lot of love on Indy. Indy's defense is quite good. They do have a lot of really good pieces on defense. Matt Ryan on offense, I don't think is going to solve their issues. Michael Pittman's okay, like he's decent. To me, he's not even a true wide receiver. One, you do have Jonathan Taylor who is arguably the best He's running back in the game. He's a stud. But Matt Ryan's on the downside of his career. I haven't been super impressed with him. I know it's Atlanta, so you don't really trust anything in Atlanta. But are people being too hype on Indy to just run away with this division over Tennessee? Like, Tennessee's been solid on defense. Derrick Henry's similar to Jonathan Taylor and how good he is. They have A.J. Brown, who's definitely better than Pittman. Is Tannehill or Matt, this version of Matt Ryan that much different? 
Like, I don't understand why everyone is so sold on Indy. I don't know, maybe you have any more on me, or... I don't really get it. Like, I think they're going to be a decent team. I just don't see why they're so sold on Indy. They don't have that good of an offense, in my opinion. Okay, so here's my thought on it, and this is just kind of off the cuff here. Um, Atlanta did not struggle with offense last year. Really. Like, overall... They had a bunch of leads. They had, you know, some games, obviously, everybody struggles on offense. But overall, offensively, they, they did okay. And who did they have? Well, they had Cordell Patterson and they had Kyle Pitts because Ridley was out all year. So that's really all they had. They, Russell, Russell, Gage, Russell Gage had a good Russell season. Gage, but, but even that, right? So you look, at, you look at Indy and you say, okay, so you got Jonathan Taylor, who's significantly better than Cordell Patterson. Sorry, that's just facts. Um, like Pittman's fine. Who do they have at tight end? I don't even know. I can't even Moali Cox. Is he still there? Yeah, I that's a good question. I, I just look at it this way. Indy's defense is significantly better than Atlanta's. They are. Right? So if Matt Ryan can get leads, which he's done the last couple of years in Atlanta, the biggest problem is they've absolutely been abysmal on defense. So or on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, if he all he has to do is just not make stupid mistakes and he'll be fine. Like that's just the way I look at it. You lean on Jonathan Taylor as much as you can. And then let your defense do the rest. And as I said, and he's, as you said, in his defense was good. So I think that's maybe the rationale. I don't know if I would say like run away with the division by any means. I, I'm, I don't, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be like hyped that they're going to be, you know, even a top eight offense in the AFC. Like, I don't think that's a chance, no. but I think that they're going to be good enough to get the job done so that their defense can support with a few points here and there. And I think they'll be more successful than Atlanta, no doubt. Um, so I think it'll be a fight for the division for sure. Um, I don't think they're running away with it, but I also don't think that they're gonna, you know, just fade away under because Matt Ryan's still got some game left in him. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not arguing that. I'm just like everyone's su- super hyped on Indy now that they got Matt Ryan, and I'm like, I just look around the AFC and I'm like, I got like ten teams that I think are still better than Indy. Like I like their defense. I really like Frank Reich as a coach. I think he's a great coach. But again, I just don't see enough weapons on this offense. It's Jonathan Taylor or bust, really. Like Pittman's fine, but I don't I don't really see it compared to a lot of these other teams, especially in how crazy this AFC is. And again, like the Titans have picked up some good things. They added Robert Woods to AJ Brown. I like that a lot. He's better than this version of Julio we've seen. Big fan of Robert Woods. So I just yeah, I'm I'm seeing all this indie hype and I don't really see it. I think it's gonna be a good battle still between Indy and the Tennessee, but man, I still if I had to put money down right now, I might take Tennessee in that division still. What about Kiki Kuti? Isn't he in the Texans? Isn't he on the Texans? No, no, he was on the Texans, and he got traded to the Colts, didn't he? Oh, I don't remember. He's just good at Madden. He's just really good at Madden. He is good at Madden. That is true. I mean, new Madden league, you might have to draft draft that guy. But no, I mean, it'll be, I don't know. I mean, the Colts did dick all with Wentz. So, I mean, it can't get worse, can it? Like, Matt Ryan's... Better than he's better than Carson Wentz. He's more consistent than Carson Wentz. I argue they, they, Carson, it, Carson Wentz's upside right now is higher, but he also makes underhand left-handed interceptions. So, not nine and eight. Like Indy was nine and eight last year, so I don't see them being worse under Matt Ryan if nothing else changes. Right. The only so, issue is I think the AFC in general is so much better. So I think this that is could true. Make, that's where I think Indy could be worse. Like Tennessee's not going twelve and five though. Like that's like no chance. I mean, they went 12 and five and they were missing Henry for a good chunk of the season. So I know, but the AFC was not that, I mean, look at their division last year, like Houston and Jacksonville were absolute dog shit. Jacksonville is at least going to be better than three wins. 
But there's still four wins for you. You have played those two teams twice. There's auto four wins. Yeah, well, maybe maybe Trevor, maybe T-Law will surprise him. Christian Kirk will surprise the, us all. All <laughs> Man, I was going to actually say, so all the money that, or all the stuff that they got, like they paid Christian Kirk. I saw, it was like this meme. It was like Jacksonville um, paying Christian Kirk and then seeing what, you know, Devontae got paid and what uh, Tyreek Hill got paid. And they were like, fuck, damn it. <laughs> That was a mistake. I mean, I, I mean, hopefully Christian Kirk has a good year this year because uh, that's a that's a he's got a big contract to uh, to pay off. So anyway, you know what the one thing we didn't talk about with um, Tyree Kill, by the way, was he got a twenty five million signing bonus, right? Which is great. And then he's he's because it was a four year extension because he's still on his contract, right? He's paying for six mil this year. Yeah. So great from a cap perspective. And, you know, with the stupid salary cap, they'll probably restructure his contract next year uh, or whatever they need to do. Or maybe they'll do it in the fourth year. Who knows? Um, but but yeah, uh, Tyreek Hill for six mil this year, not a bad gig. That's one big thing. Like, we can say Steven Ross is a horrible owner and a whole bunch of other reasons, but this guy's not scared to pay up front. There's not many owners in the league who would pay up front $25 million to help out the team long term. So he did that. He paid out $25 million yesterday to get Tyreek Hill on a lesser contract and lesser to the cap. Not many owners are willing to pay out $25 million tomorrow. So that's big. Again, Stephen Ross, not a great owner for a lot of reasons. I really wouldn't mind having a different owner. But things like that, not scared to spend money, is huge when it comes to the NFL and the way the cap works. Man, imagine signing a contract and the guy's like, okay, here's a check for $25 million. Haven't played a game for us. Not a single snap. And he's like, hey, 25 mil check, go deposit this. Tyreek Hill was asked, like, hey, like, you know, you know, explore the city. And he's like, oh, yeah, he's like, how are you going to celebrate? He's like, oh, I'll go down to the beach, play some beach volleyball, get maybe get a little Hennessy. I'm like, oh, you can bring in a lot of Hennessy with 25 mil. This guy's just going to have an absolute time uh, in Miami. So, yeah. And as, as Tyreek said, and we'll be reminded all year, New York who? I do not believe, by the way, that's the, like, I know he said it multiple times, but he's like, oh, it was always Miami. I'm like, dude, there's no, like, there's no way that he didn't at least consider it. I mean, I personally would not rather go to New Jersey than Miami. Like, seriously, it's like picking Cleveland over, I don't know. It's like picking Cleveland over New Orleans, I suppose. I Well, actually, no, I take that back. At least your house won't get destroyed in, in Cleveland because... You know, if you got a house in New Orleans, they, they have a lot of shit going on down there. Tornadoes and hurricanes. And I'm sure maybe that was his decision. I don't know. Maybe he just wanted to get rid of that stuff. <laughs> where do you want to go next? Well, where do we want to go next, Burke? Well, I mean, NHL trade deadline uh, come and gone. Um, I think I want to start there. I'll start with the Leafs, I guess. And I want to start with um, something that makes me extremely uncomfortable. And I do not want to see. Actually, I'm kind of caught in between. Right now, if you look at the NHL standings and the Atlantic, in second place is the Toronto Maple Leafs with 85 points. In third is the Boston fucking Bruins. I do not want to play the Bruins in the first round. Something needs to change, dude. I do not want this to happen again. I do not think that I can live through Another game seven loss or whatever to Boston. Like, I, it's, what is it, three times? It's two or three times it's already happened. I can't do it a fourth time, man. It'll stress me out. 
Again, it, would, it almost starts to make me feel bad as a Habs fan, watching them lose multiple times to Boston. Then you lose in seven games to the Habs, and then you could have a chance at losing in seven to the Boston again. Like, how do you deal with it? Those are like, those got to be your two biggest rivals, and you just keep losing playoff series to both of them. It's kind of amusing, but at the same time, at a certain point, I'm like, I just don't even, like, I feel bad for Leafs fans. This can't be fun. In their defense, I actually think Dubas, I still don't think, did enough. But he got good value for what he did. He didn't give up too much for what he got. I will give him that. I still, from the outside looking in, think he should have done more. He should have been willing to give up first-round picks to get more, to get maybe an upgrade as a backup goalie or something. I know Arizona kind of screwed him there because they were hoping to get Harry Sateri, who was the gold medal winning guy. Arizona claimed him off waivers, which kind of an asshole move. But I still think he made great value moves, and the moves he made were smart. But again, I still would have liked to see him go more all in from the outside looking in. Yeah, the big thing was is, you know, people are bitching about how we didn't get goaltending. I, I don't see where there was an upgrade to be had. That's my only thing, right? Is like, well, you know, he should have paid up for a goaltender. I'm like, who? Fleury. Like, Flurry didn't want to come. No, that's probably true, but Dubas denied it before it got there anyways. They kind of no, got Hagel, Hagel and Flurry, and Dubas said he did no quick. Well, so. that's fine. I mean, I, I and, and I would have liked that trade, to be honest. But, like, the thing that I look at, too, is, I mean, Edmonton was sniffing around Fleury as well. And Fleury was like, yeah, I'm not going to Edmonton. So he just didn't want to come to Canada. And I can't blame him. So, you know, I, I, I just look at it and say, there's no, like, if that's the only guy and he doesn't want to come, there's, like, nobody else. The He's going to understand. The Go other ahead. name I really liked was Halak. Halak, apparently, Vancouver was willing to give him up for, like, a sixth just to get him off the books this year. He's only one and a half million. With how bad Mrazek's been, and you've seen the highs and lows of Halak, he can be bad, but he gets as hot as anybody else in the league. I've seen it firsthand in Montreal's playoff runs. We've seen it for Boston at times. That could have been an interesting backup to bring in. Like you have him and Campbell, I think you feel a lot more better, a lot better going into the playoffs with. So he was another name that I thought, why not take a flyer on? He can't be any worse than Mrazek's been. Whew. But yeah, there maybe isn't as much of an upgrade as people were hoping in net, but. I think they had to push harder than they did. When you hear that they denied that trade from Chicago so quickly before even going to Florida to see if he'd go there, kind of makes you wonder a little bit. Well, it does. And I just, I mean, yeah, I mean, Halak sure is a backup, but again, it's not really the backup that's the issue, I guess. People are just like, do we have a, do we have a number one goalie? I mean, that's the big question. And, you know, we've def- I've defended Campbell a long time, and maybe he's just because he's been hurt since January, or I don't even know what it is. Um, but this was one of your concerns. Let's go. I want to go back to this really quickly. Like this was one of your concerns at the start of the season. And I said, you know, who knows what's going to happen with that. But you brought up, you know, he's playing really well, but we have to see how he does because he hasn't played as many games. And now we're starting to see you get to that, you know, mid season, you know, that mid season time and he gets hurt and he's not playing games and he just maybe that, you know, and, and, and maybe you grow into that. But he just he definitely didn't have it this year. So it does bring me concern, especially moving into playoffs, because, you know, I don't know when he's going to come back. You know, probably he's going to come back right before the playoffs, like, I would assume. I don't know. I just don't know. I, I, I never I never liked how that ends up. No, and this has been the concern Jack Campbell's entire career. He was a high prospect. He played for the U.S. national program. He played for the World Juniors for the U.S. He was a huge prospect goalie. But injury and fatigue concerns have been his downside his entire career. So I, that was my point before the years. Why have these suddenly gone away? You see guys who can never quite get out of it. And 
unfortunately, like, I mean, fortunately for me, I'm a Haz fan, so I like kind of seeing it, but you don't like to see anybody injured or struggle this much, but it looks like I was right. Like, I, I don't want to just pump my own tires here, but I was no, right. You were. The, concern, the concerns I had with Campbell are proven to be right. And I thought the Leafs, I actually did like the Morazic deal in the off season. I like Morazic. I thought he could be better. He hasn't been. Everyone's on Dubas for that contract and it looks terrible now, but I would still back it in the off season. I thought it was a good move. You brought in a guy who you thought could be a really good one B who hasn't performed the way he has in his career. So that's hard to expect, but this is where I think you needed to move and kind of find another one B like Halak who you're just hoping Campbell or Halak could get hot come playoff time. Yeah. Well, which is what he did against Montreal. I mean, he was unbelievable and I, I do think it is helpful. So, I mean, they moved out Travis Dermott. Um, his time was coming anyway. Uh, I'm not, you know, whatever he's, he's, you know, leaf leaf boy through and through. Um, he was just a salary cap move is really what that was recouped a third round pick for him. You know, Giordano comes over as a rental. Um, I don't know how much Giordano has left in the tank. Um, he's looked okay. Like he's, he's still like, he's, he's been good all year. Um, as I said, you know, people are saying, well, maybe we'll get him for a couple more years and Hey, maybe that's the case. I don't know. Maybe he signs in Toronto. Um, but again, right. He's 30, I think he's 38 years old. So, you know, it's, you do need those veteran guys though. I mean, I will, you got to say, okay, we need a defenseman. We went on and got a defenseman, right? He was, he was a stud for Calgary. Um, you know, when they were in the playoffs, like it is what it is. Like he's been, he's been solid, right? Now we just need people to stop a puck. That's what yeah, we need. I mean, Giordano is not the Norris winning trophy defenseman he was a couple years ago. No. But he's also not washed up. He's a really good middle pairing defenseman. I still don't want him on my top pair probably anymore. But as you're 3-4, you're extremely happy with him. And I really thought that was good value that they got for him. And I thought that was a good move by Dubas. As I said, I think they did really good value moves here. Even uh, the Russian bear, Labushkin or whatever, however we want to say it. Yep. Again, a good value play earlier on. Good. They've done some good value plays. And I like the moves he's made. Again, my only argument is I would have liked to see him push more for some of these other guys. Whether it was trying to bring in a charade as well using your first round pick. Again, I don't think they could have matched what Montreal or what Florida was willing to give up because Florida's all in. But whether it's a couple of these other guys, I would have liked to see them do more because their defense is looking a little better. Labushkin is looking decent. Giordano should step into that role quite decently. Again, I just I still just don't see if Toronto has enough to get it done against some of these teams. You just look at what Florida's done, bringing in Giroux and Sherratt to that team already, which is absolutely insane. That team looks unstoppable at times. Like, to me right now, it's Colorado or Florida. I mean, I'm not going to take Tampa out of the conversation because it's Tampa and they've won it back-to-back years, but what Florida and Colorado have done are just unbelievable moves for this year. They're all in. And I just, at what point does Toronto need to do that? I thought this was a year maybe you got to start pushing, especially because you're taking these players away from those teams. That's what we're talking about with Miami is it was down to two guys in your division. You're taking that guy away from that team. So maybe that's why you pay a little extra. Toronto doesn't seem to be willing to step it up. So maybe they are next year. But here's the thing. Dubas, you don't have a job next year if you don't get it done in the first round this year. So yeah. what, are you, what are you doing? Like I get you don't want to explode the franchise because that's your that's your job as well. It won't be your job if you can't get through the first round. So what does it matter? Which it, it's so true. And it's just, but it sucks though, because uh, you don't, I, and I've, you know, I'll, I'll fight on this hill. I, as I think he's done all the moves that he's done, I can't really argue with. No. Right? And that's the thing. It's like, you know, you look last year, and what's-his-face didn't pan out because he got hurt. Um, 
don't know his name. I don't even remember because he only played two games for us. Uh, who came over from was it Columbus? I forget what his name was. What's his name? Nick Felino. Felino. Okay, Felino didn't pan out because he got hurt. I get the move. I totally get it. You get a grinder in there. You get a, a like he's skilled, but he's also a grinder that you need some toughness for the playoffs. I get it. Good move. Didn't pan out. Morazic. Everybody's like, wow, what a good move. Like nice, nice backup. Not panning out. Right. And and you can't make that like you make those same decisions any day of the week. And but the and the reality is, is that his job lies in the hands of the players that he signed. And I and bunting, another great, great pickup. Another great pickup that just fits so well in the place of Zach Hyman. Guys having an unbelievable year. Um, but you know, it it's it's not gonna matter, and that's where you're right. If they don't get it done, it's not gonna matter. Cause at this point, it's like, what else can he do? And maybe and and, and I'm not gonna say one hundred percent that he's gone. Cause I think that there's still a chance that they could even if they go on the first round, I mean, there's definitely gonna be discussions about like guys are moving. We thought guys were moving last year. And we were, we, you and I were both pretty certain that they were moving somebody, and they they didn't. They they stood pat. They stood with their guys. But if you don't get it done this year, I'm back on that train. Where now you really got to start thinking about moving guys if you get another year. If, which that's a big yeah, if. Well, and that's the thing. That's my only argument. Is again, like he's been hurt by a couple of things. The Nick Ritchie one was bad. Again, there was a lot of people who questioned that move for the contract he gave because Nick Ritchie. But he ended up turning it into something okay. He made a decent move with it. Again, I think he's made decent moves. Nothing that blows your socks off. And he's been hurt by a couple moves that haven't turned out as well that we all thought were good when they happened. But he, at some point with this team, you have to just go all in. You have to push the chips in. This team isn't going to be together forever because that's the way the salary cap works. So what point do you push it all in and really take a next step instead of being all these safe moves that keeps your franchise right on that edge of being elite and not when you see other teams around the league like florida or colorado going all in more at some point you got to make the decision whether you're all in or you're not and again this offseason that's it if the Leafs can't get it done this offseason i think it's winning at least a round if not two you either got to go all in next year or you got to blow it up there's no choice anymore you can't keep running it back with the same roster you can't keep doing that so it's going to be a grind at the end of the season for the Leafs. Again, they're going to make the playoffs. The eight teams are basically decided in the East. So it's what can they do when they get there? So it's interesting. Well, and 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 speaking about walking the edge, the Habs are doing a perfect job at trying to lock up the best odds. Like, they, you know, they went on an exciting little run there. And now they're sitting at last in the league at 44 points with a game in hand over... Uh, Arizona, so you got to be pretty happy about that. I mean, they played some exciting hockey since Marty St. Louis has been there. They, you know, they went on some run. They went on a little bit of a run, and uh, you know, Arizona won a few games too, which was great. Worked out perfect, and then uh, you know, you've tapered off kind of at the end here. It's the perfect tank. It's it's perfect right now. They had such a good trade deadline. They got a lot for Toffoli. They got a lot for Sherratt. Lekkinen was a great trade again too. They turned Hammond into a decent prospect. Nate Schnarr, who played in Guelph, who was fun to watch. It was a great trade deadline for the Habs. And watching them was excited. Like, they lost 4-3 to Florida yesterday in regulation. The kids look good again. Suzuki with another snipe on the power play. Caulfield's now up to 8th in rookie scoring with 15 games less played than some of those guys. And reminded, in his first 30 games this year, he had one goal. So that's how well this guy's playing. Him and Suzuki look like the guys we thought they were last year. Every time Caulfield touches the puck again, it looks like the puck could go in the net. And the best part about it is they're losing the game still. 
So Suzuki, Caulfield are putting up points. The young guys are looking good. Romanov's looking good. Jake Evans, Ryan Paling are starting to step up a bunch too. And they're losing. So this is perfect right now. Arizona's still actually winning some games. They're, they were on a run there where they were scoring a ridiculous amount. So a lot of things are going really well for the Habs. Again, huge. We got 13 draft picks this year. And it's going to be a massive year. That Florida pick is huge because next year draft looks so good. And they got Florida's first round pick next year, which is unprotected. So it's exciting. Like coming off the high last year, the lows of the start of this year. Now we're somewhere in the middle, but you see a true plan with who they brought in. Jordan Harris, big time defenseman who played for the U.S. program who's at Northwestern. He was going to be a free agent this summer. It didn't look like the Habs were going to sign him. They brought in Kent Hughes, who used to coach him in minor hockey, whose kid's kid plays with him, St. Louis kid plays with him. Sounds like he signed a two-year entry-level contract as he just lost this afternoon. So, again, there's just another reason that they brought in the right guys to get these guys signed to build for the future. So bringing in Jordan Harris, huge-time prospect who the Habs drafted and now sounds like he's going to be there for two years, like, Everything is going really well for the Habs. I know the season sucks, but they're fun to watch right now. The kids look good. They had an unbelievable trade deadline for picking up some prospects, some draft picks. It's going to be an exciting offseason. Kent Hughes, Jeff Gordon has said they're not scared to spend in free agency either. So there's going to be some moves, and I think there's finally a true plan for Montreal where, again, Montreal's been kind of one of these teams who sat in the middle. We've gone on a few super exciting runs, which have been a ton of fun to be a part of, but there hasn't been a plan that I think is going to put them over the edge. And I think a couple of these prospects mixed in with what these guys in the front office finally have, we can see it now in the future, which is super exciting. So I just want to really quickly, I know we got some other stuff to get into, but we, um, last year we did kind of a, you know, with about 20 games to go or so we, we kind of talked about some awards and I don't want to do them all necessarily or really dive too much in. Cause we haven't, I, I personally haven't done too much research. Um, so really quickly, I mean, the Matthews is, if he continues his pace, he's got the rocket pretty much locked up, I would think. Um, I think he's still he's still sitting at first in goals at forty four, I believe. Um, so he's at forty. This, he's at forty six. Drysdale. Oh, forty six. Forty four for Drysdale. Okay, so it'll be close. Um, so I mean, Matthews with rocket. Let's just assume that it stays like that. Now, here's here's the thing, the Hart Trophy. I'm just I want to get your your thought on on who you think is a front runner for that right now because you know if you look at the league, right? McDavid obviously and Drysaddle are one two. 95 points, 90 points. Um you know, have either of those guys and has that team, you know, really done well enough? Like they're sitting at third in the Pacific right now. If they finish at third in the Pacific. And then whatever, if they, let's say they go out in the first round or something like it, it does McDavid have the heart locked up just because he's Connor McDavid? No, to me, the two front runners, in my opinion, I know this is going to be probably lower are Hubido and Shosturkin actually are the two guys I would have. I'd have McDavid's Matthews kind of right there on the second thing. Everyone will argue Matthews because of the goals for you're 15 points behind though. Like that's significant. It's not three or four or five points. It's 15 points behind McDavid. So to me, you're out of the running. Seven points for Huberto with how good his team is, how good he is defensively. That's huge to me. And Shesterkin for a while here, he's starting to fall off a bit. He had the best stats we'd ever seen in a goalie. They were better than Carey Price in his Hart Trophy winning season. So he has to be considered there. But so to me, it's probably, I'd right now, if, if I had a vote, which clearly we don't, we're not that big of media, I would be voting for Huberto for the Hart. Uh, just the way Florida's playing, the way he is so important two ways for that team. Uh, 
But the only issue I have with him is he's a left winger still. So, but to me, I like Huberto. McDavid's still going to get the votes. When you're beating everybody else by points by that much, you got to get the votes. And Shesterkin, with the season he's had, is kind of the other guy I see. So let's move. I just want to talk about the Vesna then. Um, I, I don't disagree. I, I mean, personally, I just feel like McDavid, by the way, could get the benefit of the doubt. If they have a little bit of playoff success, yeah. it's just one of those things where well, if you're the number one scorer, right? If you're winning the Ernest Ross, then. Playoff success has zero to do with it because the votes are voted before the playoffs. Well, I guess that's true. But they really should do the playoffs too. I, I don't know. Personally, I think. Because if you. Like, I don't know. I mean, you, you definitely make, have to make the playoffs to, yeah, win, you have to, to, make the to playoffs. win it for sure, because otherwise it's stupid. Vesna, though, I have an argument for you. So I know, like, Shesterkin's been unbelievable. We all know that to be true. Most wins in the. So Vazzy and Jerry have both have 32. Frederick Anderson has 31. Goals against average, you know who's leading the. Um, who's leading all goaltenders? With like more more than you know five games played, yeah. Charlie Lindgren doesn't count, but it's Freddie Anderson. Freddie Anderson is Freddie Anderson in talks for the Vesna. Oh, Freddie Anderson is in the top three, no doubt, right now. To me, he's number two. His save percentage drops off a bit in compared to what Shesterkin's done. Yeah, it's nine two six for Freddie and nine three six for Shesterkin, which is pretty significant. Point zero one is significant. How much it sounds like it isn't over an entire season. That's actually quite significant. But, yeah, Freddie Anderson's right there. He's having that good of a season. And, I mean, like, Carolina's a phenomenal defensive team. But, to me, it's still Shesterkin. The numbers he's putting up in that save percentage are just unbelievable, especially for a New York team who they're probably – everyone thought they were a year or two away. Carolina should be right there. Everyone's super high on Carolina. But, yeah, Freddie's the next guy for me. It's Shesterkin and Freddie. I mean, this is this is where I look at it. And like Carolina's first in the Metro, and the Rangers are third in the Metro. They're separated by six points. So I'm like, man, if if Carolina wins the Metro, oh, then it's Freddie. It's got to be right. Yeah, if they could win them, or no, sorry, I don't know. If it stays close, if like if the, if the numbers were as they were today, let's just say they were as they were today, Carolina wins the Metro. I'm still going Shesterkin. If it's six points difference. Mm-hmm. If it's six points difference, I think I'm still going to Shesterkin just because New York's not supposed to be as good as Carolina is this year. Like the reason that New York's had such a good season is because of Shesterkin. The reason Carolina's not ha- had a good season is not all because of Anderson. It's a huge part of it, but Shesterkin's putting up absolute historic numbers for most of the season. So to me, right now today, it's Shesterkin. Could Freddie pass him by the end of the year for sure? Well, that that's going to be close. Um, let's talk about um, let's talk about Mo Sider for a sec. Okay, so does this guy have a chance to be the a Norris winner and a um, what's Calder. the other one? Calder. Calder. He's too Calder far for off sure. I, to me, he's a front runner for the Calder, no doubt this year. The Norris, I think Yossi and Makar are just such on a level of their own this year that he's not even that close to that Makar and Yossi. What they're doing is just absolutely insane. Like they're both setting numbers that haven't been seen in 10 years. So what they're doing is just unbelievable. But Mo is looking like a true number one D he's looking like Eiserman knew what he was doing with that pick when everyone thought it was out of the blue, that back check that he had the other day, that it was Peter Forsberg esque was just unbelievable. Like don't try and hit this guy. Same thing we saw for years for Peter Forsberg guys would go into the corner, try and hit him and just get destroyed. It's so fun to watch. If you're a Red Wings fan, 
Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond are super exciting rookies to watch. They both could be two of the three nominees for the Calder. To me, again, just how important that number one D spot is. Mo Sider gets my nod for that. But to me, if we're talking Norris, he's just way too far behind McCarr and Yossi with what their seasons are. I mean, Yossi's got 79 points. Yeah. <laughs> like, put, the, a- put this put this in a perspective, dude. Like, like, this guy is 16 points behind Connor McDavid. Yeah. As a and, defenseman. Yeah. And McCarr's at 71. Like, these guys are putting absolute insane numbers up. Bunting doesn't have a chance at the rookie, does he? At the Calder. I mean, he's 28, so. Yeah. Me, I mean, bunting, bunting shouldn't be a part of it again. This is our same argument we had with Kaprasov. Not to quite the extent because Bunting hasn't had the same NHL or top end pro career. Like KHL experience. Yeah, like he's just been up and down for so long. He's still. If he was born two days later, he wouldn't be a part of this discussion. His birthday is falls under that parameters by two days. So to me, unless he was having something exceptional where he was way leading the race, my vote's not going to Bunting because, again, I think there needs to be even a tighter criteria on this. So to me, it's Mo right now and Lucas May- Raymond maybe second, but I think Bunting would probably get that third spot in the award ceremony. There are three nominees or whatever they call them. Last one I want to do. Uh, these are just quick. I like this. This is a nice little quick one. Um, the Jack Adams. I have I have my Jack Adams winner personally. I don't know. We'll have to see how this goes, but I like I don't really know, but I feel like Rob Brindamore has a really good chance, and maybe it's because I'm I'm at you know whatever I'm the Eastern Conference bias, but I don't know, man. Carolina's got 91 points, or one behind Florida. I know they're supposed to be good this year, but I don't know. Rod the Bod Brindamore, baby, Jack Adams. I like it. To me, it's Andrew Burnett. Andrew Burnett had to come into Florida after the whole Joel Quenville issue with yep. the, earlier in the season. So with what he's been able to still keep Florida doing, I know they're a stacked team. They're an unbelievable team. But to be able to come into that situation and keep up this team, if not excel them even further, Andrew Burnett's my guy right now. And Rob Brandemore's not a terrible choice. And I'm sure there's a couple others. Minnie's coach uh, has to be up there with what they've done this season. They weren't supposed to be that good. And now you pick up a guy like Flurry, they're, they're kind of going for it a bit. Uh, can't even name their coach off the top of my head. I should be able to. But right now, for me, it's Andrew Burnett interesting well this is where like i don't know like you know like the 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 head coach of the of the avalanche jared bednar so i mean he doesn't i mean they're gonna probably win the president's trophy colorado so but but they're so good like how can you really give much credit to the coach is my only thing yeah sorry it's dean evison for minnesota who i think would get my other nod kind of in those top three jared bednar He'd be a fine choice. It's a good choice. But again, but you could yeah, put Colorado anybody was... in that spot and they'd be successful. You could put fucking. Yeah, t- to me, it's the guys who take a team who shouldn't be as successful and become successful or guys who work through a lot of controversy. So Andrew Burnett, to me, sure, Florida should be successful, but they had a whole mess with Joel Quenville where this team could have gone downhill losing your head coach the way they did. And then Dean Evison, Minnesota wasn't supposed to be a good this year. They weren't supposed to be picking up guys like Flurry at the trade deadline. And Dean Evison's done a great job there. So. To me, those two, add Rob Brendamore in there, add Jared Bettner in there for sure. Those two could be there almost every year. So, The only other one that came to mind was Todd McClellan. That's the only other one. L.A. Kings. Like I didn't really think that L.A. was going to be that good this year, to be perfectly honest with you. I did. So I, I did like, have them making the playoffs true. in the preseason. So. I mean, they only have 79 points. Like They're way behind everybody else. But still, I mean, I don't know. I didn't. 
he, he probably won't get that nod. Probably one of the other guys. It, it's it's pretty wide open. Like that's probably one of the hardest ones too because it's like, well, what's the criteria for that, right? You know, Calder's really easy. Norris, it, you know, it, the only thing that I don't like about the Norris is, is like, well, look how many points this guy's got as a defenseman. Like, I know that there's other metrics that they're going to look at, but, you know, what if you're like this really good stay-at-home defenseman, you're, the expected goals against is super low, you know, your plus-minus is really good, but you have like 20 points. Like, I don't know. But there's such a discrepancy. Like, the modern NFL, NHL defenseman is so different now. Like, Yossi and Makar are still both positives on the defensive end. It's not like they're negatives. It's not like you get an Eric Carlson where the eight years Eric Carlson was a negative on the defensive side, but he was such a positive on the offensive side. You'd take it. McCarr and Yossi are still both positives on the defensive side and they're putting up video game numbers. So to me, that's where it doesn't matter how good defensively you are when these guys are doing both so well and putting up video game numbers. When there was a years when he had like Shea Weber versus Eric Carlson, I could get into that argument a little more these days with these two guys. I don't think you can. Yeah, I tend to agree. Well, there you go. That's our little quick um, before the season. I, we just want to throw it out there and just see what's what's going to happen. And, you know, like we could be dead wrong. I mean, there's guys I'm sure that we didn't mention. This happened to us last year too. You know, we didn't even mention Adam Fox at all and, and some other stuff like that. So, um, you know, if we missed it, we missed it. Our bad. But um, nice little kind of – nice little take considering that we did not um, really prepare for that. So, now, Canada – had a World Cup match last night, qualifying match last night. And they lost one nothing to Costa Rica. I thought it was pretty bullshit. I mean, they had a ton of chances down the down the stretch. Like, they hit three posts in the final 10 minutes of that game. Um, the red card was was an absolute flop job. Like, that's a nothing play. I'm sorry. That's it. it like Here, I got a pretty strong opinion about this. Like, Marth, Mark Anthony K. you know how CONCACAF refing is, especially on the road. It's horrible. There's no doubt in mind. Is that deserving of another card? No way. But there's no way you should get yourself in a situation with one yellow where you're even bumping into a guy like that. Because he did lean into him. Mark Anthony K did lean into the guy. The guy, huge sell job. There's no doubt about Embar- it. it. Embarrassing sell job. Embarrassing. Was it deserving of a yellow card? No. But Mark Anthony K, you've been in CONCACAF for years. You know the refing, especially on the road. You cannot get yourself in a situation like that. That is stupid. Like, there's no doubt about it. It shouldn't be a red card. But you know what this is like. We've watched CONCACAF for years. You know what refing is, especially on the road. That call is going to go against you every single day of the week. Don't lean into the guy. Avoid that. There's bigger picture items here. Again, in the grand scheme of things, this game shouldn't matter. But the scenario, and and I I have the scenario for you, by the way, on, on them making the World Cup. Even if the only reason right now for the first tie break, by the way, is goal differential. So the only reason that Canada is not qualified for the World Cup is because hypothetically, if they lose their next two, Costa Rica wins their next two and has a goal differential of plus 17. They need to catch, they need to catch, there's 17 goals behind Canada. But if so Canada if they score nine, both, both, it's going to have to be, it'll be at least 15. So. Because Canada's well, got yeah. at least lose, <laughs> lose by a goal. Well, that, that's, this is exactly <laughs> it. Like, it's like, that's the only reason they haven't qualified. I'm like, really? You're, I mean, you're not catching 17. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't care how bad your football team you are. Like, it's just not happening. But the nice thing is, is that they're playing this Sunday at BMO Field in Canada versus Jamaica. And you get one point and you are on your way to Qatar. 
What so, a, like, how much it would have been nice to not lose a game in this in the octagon, and they finally lost a game. That was their first loss in the octagon. This is a Sunday in Canada, in March. Minus three degrees is the high at BMO Field outside, and Canada. I, I don't I don't want to call it, but Canada's going to clinch the World Cup on Sunday. They're going to clinch a berth in the World Cup for the first time since '86. Like this, this is huge, and. How much it would have been nice to do it in Costa Rica. This is going to be massive for the fans in Toronto on Sunday. This is going to be exciting as a country. There was a million people up watching a game on a Thursday night at 10 o'clock versus Costa Rica. A soccer game. This is insane. Like, this is crazy exciting. And, I mean, we can get into it more. Like, in Ontario, there is a massive Italian community, especially when you talk about Toronto. Huge. Italy's not making the World Cup now. They were eliminated officially yesterday. Again, we, this is the third. This is the third time in a row they've missed. Thought it was only the they, second, but no, nope, they have I'll not been in a World it. Cup in twelve years. Italy, they won. They won the World Cup in two thousand and six, and they made the World Cup the next year, and then they haven't been back since. It's insanity. But how amazing is this going to be during the World Cup this year? When we're driving in Toronto and there's just going to be Canada jerseys, Canada flags everywhere, everywhere. everywhere. And there's a chance Portugal doesn't make it still. They still have to win a game. And there's a massive Portuguese community in Toronto and in Ontario. Like this is insane. And the craziest part about this is we've done half this qualifying without a top 10 player in the world. Not just in Canada, without a top 10 player in the world, our best player by far. Like this it's insane for Canadian soccer. You look how young these guys, Alistair Johnson, Tejan Buchanan, Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies. These guys are all super young. This is crazy. You see how excited and Atiba Hutchison is talking about it. He never thought he would get this chance ever. He thought it was over for him. He's like, I want to represent my country a little more, but I'm never going to get a chance to get to the World Cup. Atiba Hutchison, you're going to go to the World Cup. On Sunday, it'll be official. I'm calling it now. I don't, I think between oh, all the things I, that are going to happen. Lock it some, up. Sunday, Canada will be officially clinched for the World Cup, and it's going to be exciting. I mean, I've always got to cheer for Germany in the World Cup, family being from there. I'm excited to cheer for Canada, and the best part is is Canada's not getting there. Canada can legit win a few games. Again, I don't feel confident about trying to call them to win the World Cup, but they could get out of the group stage, and it wouldn't shock anybody. This is a team that nobody's going to want to play in Qatar, and it's super exciting to be a Canadian soccer fan. It's 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 this is where multiculturalism is great, especially when those, as you said, Portuguese and Italian fans, they don't get their own teams in there. I mean, regardless, everybody is going to be a Canadian fan for the for the World Cup that's in Canada. It's going to be nuts, um, and and it's a first for our lifetime. Like it's super cool to follow along, and I I mean I I hope that they can just they get the number one spot. I'm mean, not that it matters. Top three makes it anyway. Um, but and it means, it means nothing. Cause they do completely they random do, draws. Yeah. They do <laughs> random draws. So it means nothing, but it would just be nice to say, Hey, we're top seed. Suck we're it. The best, like, yeah. We're the best team in CONCACAF. Like we're the best we're team in CONCACAF. Better Here than we Mexico come. Or US. Yep. And, and these teams have had success too. Right. So, you know, the ladies showed us how it was done and, um, you know, now it's time for the guys to, uh, you know, to, to, to just to go out there and just make us all proud, which they'll do anyway. I mean, you roll up and you're playing for the World Cup. It's absolutely wild. I am not looking forward to hearing the horns, though, I will say, or the whatever they're called. Uh, the Venezuelas uh, won't be there. It's not South Africa. I don't care. They're going to be there somehow. It's going to be the most annoying thing in the whole world. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I, either way, um, 
we're going to make back-to-back World Cups? Because four years from now, it's it's Canada-U.S. joint. So, yeah. Two back-to-back World Cups. It's going to be sick. We haven't seen it in our lifetime, and now we're going to see it a bunch. And you know what? Even in four years from now, these guys are all going to still be in their prime. These big guys, Jonathan David, Tejon Buchanan, Alistair Johnson, Alfonso Davies. Like, this is exciting. we got a few young guys other than that on the rise, and it's it's a great time to be a Canadian soccer fan. It's a great time to be a Canadian sports fan overall. So it's just a fun time to be a sports fan. I mean, Miami fan, exciting. Canada soccer fan, exciting. Jays fan, exciting. Raptors might sneak into the sixth spot, exciting. Like, this is all good. It's exciting to be a sports fan right now. And uh, you uh, for, you didn't mention Leafs, but I understand why. It's it's it's, anx- it's anxiety, not exciting. So that's just... I, ju- I just kept hockey out of it. I figured that was safer. Well, I mean, I understand it. I get it. I get it. Um, what's even crazier, though, eh, is, is like we could get a 16-year-old who or like a 14-year-old, like Alfonso Davies type, who could be playing for us in four years. Like that's the crazy part with how much these guys are like really inspiring soccer fans. Like, man, I'm not even kidding. We could have some nuts players like coming up the coming up in four years. Like that's a long time. So like next qualifying group, man, who knows who's going to be next? Like it's just going to be insane. So anyway, did you have any uh, anything else you want to bring up? No, that's pretty much it. Jay's made a minor move, picking up Tapia, left-handed batter from the Rockies, getting rid of Randall Gritchick's contract. Gritchick's been a huge part of this team the last few years when they were kind of going through this quick rebuild. Really liked him as a person. He seemed like a really good guy, but it was a contract they had to move. They picked up Tapia, who's going to be a good left-handed bat as your fourth outfielder. So another smart move by the Jays. I don't know if they're 100% done, but uh, it's going to be exciting. These Jays are they're right there. They're top four in World Series favorites. It's... I can't wait to get to back to the ballpark. And again, as I mentioned, the Raptors still in, in talks for that sixth spot to avoid the play-in games. And uh, nobody wants to play the Raptors come playoff time. Scotty Barnes is a stud. Pascal seems to be getting healthy and looking good again. So, again, yeah. there is tons of stuff to watch right now. And we're only a week and a bit away from the Masters. So, Oh, yes. That is the truth. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think – I'm not sure if we're going to do our show, Master Show, next week or the week after. It's probably going to be the week after. Um, right before the Masters, we'll uh, we'll make sure our schedules are clear for that. We're gonna try to get the SGP guys on soon, so we can fight about the Dolphins, fight about the uh, the Eagles and the Giants, because you know talking a lot of shit for teams that aren't very good. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Over Six Sports at Zach Burke Over Six and at C Charlton Turf. By the way, golf season is also coming. Like our golf season is probably like two weeks away, three weeks away. Yes. And as of March 25th, as we talk, Tiger Woods has not pulled out of the Masters yet. He has not. Phil Mickelson has. No, Phil Mickelson has been suspended from the Masters. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Tiger could come back. I, I do kind of like the I do kind of like the the suspense that he's building. I, I'm sure I'm I would doubt he plays, but hey, I would love to see it. We will give you your weekly Tiger Woods not or will be playing in the Masters. Just follow us on Twitter because if, if Tiger Woods, you know, if Tiger Woods says, comes out and says he's playing in the Masters, um, there's going to be a few tweets about it. So anyway, <laughs> as always, uh, this is the Over Six Sports Podcast. I'm Zach the Berg, Ben and Berg, and with you, the Turf King, Cameron Carlton. Thanks for listening to Over Six Sports. We'll chat with you next week.